0: Over the past week, a number of scientists and bioethicists expressed deep concern that holding the Olympics this summer in Rio de Janeiro could enable the Zika virus to spread far and wide. So I caught up with one of the world's leading experts on Zika, Dr. Peter Hotez, and put the question to him. Now, Dr. Hotez has a lot of credentials. Among other affiliations, he is dean of the National School of Tropical Medicine at Baylor College of Medicine, where he is also a professor of pediatrics and molecular and virology and microbiology and president of the Sabin Vaccine Institute. And he says that these fears are somewhat overblown and unfounded. Instead, we should really be focusing our attention on the spread of Zika to the Caribbean and southern United States. In this conversation, Dr. Hotez explains to us laypeople why Rio is actually no longer a hotbed for Zika. It's science, but easily understandable. He also explains why dithering in Congress over providing funding for mosquito control could have potentially catastrophic consequences for people living in the Gulf of Mexico. I last spoke with Dr. Hotez in January, just as Zika was coming on people's radar, and this conversation provides something of an update as we head into the mosquito-y summer months. And you should definitely have a listen to that prior conversation in which Dr. Hotez explains why the system of scientific research is not well set up to deal with fast-moving and newly emerging epidemics like the Zika virus, and frankly, also like Ebola. And we discussed that, as I said, in our conversation back in January. If you are new to the podcast, welcome. Go to globaldispatchespodcast.com to check out our archives, subscribe on iTunes, get in touch with me, get our app. It's all there. And now here is my conversation with Dr. Peter Hotez. Join listeners from across 180 countries for an exciting Season 4, launching in June. Global Health Matters is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and YouTube.
1: There has been a couple of documents that have come out calling for uh, either a cancellation, a postponement, or a relocation of the Olympics. One came out of the Harvard Review, and you're right, Amir Ataran uh, wrote a piece uh, making that recommendation. And then there was a letter signed by 150, uh, bioethicists, uh, that went to the World Health Organization. And, uh, and I think, you know, both the article and the, the petition are well intentioned, but I, I'm not sure it fully incorporates everything we're learning about Zika virus and the transmission dynamics of Zika. Uh, and in fairness to them, this is a fast moving train and, uh, there's not a lot being published out there, so a lot of it is coming through word of mouth between scientists and and I think I spoke last time of the fact that so you know we're we're how we publish and disseminate scientific information this is a wake up call yet again Ebola was the first one Zika is this one that we need to think about how we uh do that because it, it's too slow moving a process for a fast moving mm-hmm. epidemic like
0: Z, like Zika. <laughs> So I take it you don't uh, agree, like you wouldn't sign your name to that petition, for example.
1: No, I would not have, um, and and it's because what we know about Zika, um, and and it goes something along the following lines: Zika is at its greatest threat when it's being newly introduced into a population. So, for instance, when uh, when it uh, affected uh, Yap Island in Micronesia. Uh, three-quarters of the population became infected over a period of three months uh... in french polynesia it was a similar kind of thing where ninety four percent of the population became infected in six archipelagos in French Polynesia over three months. And now the same thing is happening into Honduras. It's as the virus is being introduced there. It's happening into, uh, happened in Colombia. It's happening now in, on Puerto Rico where CDC will estimate 20% of the population. So this thing moves very, it's like a hurricane. It moves very quickly, uh, across the population, it affects a high percentage of people. And that's where people get caught flat footed and, and, and pregnant mothers, uh, acquire, uh, uh, Zika virus and get microcephaly uh, what we're seeing now in Rio de Janeiro is it is a different kind of situation and that is the the hurricane passed through last a year ago around this time it, it passed through in Maine June uh, so that a significant percentage of the percentage of the population has already become infected, and that means that a high percentage of people now have antibodies to the virus and, and so that the level of, tr- of sustaining transmission of Zika uh, undoubtedly has decreased that, I think that's point one.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Po- Point two is the fact that August is the coldest month of the year in Rio de Janeiro. Uh we, we do a lot of work in Rio de Janeiro. Uh we jointly develop neglected disease vaccines with with uh, the Oswaldo Cruz Foundation, Fio Cruz. Uh and there's the coldest month of the year, and so the mosquito numbers are down. Uh that's that's a third point. And then the second point, and then the third point is you know that the Brazilians are aggressively working to apply insecticide and other Aedes aegypti control measures. So I think when you look at all of those three factors together, uh, I think that the risk of acquiring Zika in Rio de Janeiro, while certainly not zero, mm-hmm. and certainly if you're going to be going there, you want to take personal protective measures like DEET and other things, but the risk of acquiring Zika in Rio de Janeiro is actually far lower, I think, than than many other parts of the Western Hemisphere right now.
0: Would point or, would, would point one uh, be somewhat undermined by introducing like hundreds of thousands of people from around the world coming to Rio who are not um, you know don't have these antibodies?
1: Well, I think that's that's another thing to look at look at the blip and people coming in. So uh, I took the time to look at what happened during the London Games in two thousand twelve. And in fact, you know, London is such a major tourist destination anyway, that when you look uh, at the, the extra number of people coming into for the Olympic Games in London, it was about 12% higher than the usual tourist industry in the summer in London. So we're not talking about a doubling of the population. We're talking about a 12% increase. And I'm going to guess that that's the kind of numbers we're going to project out of going into Rio de Janeiro. So it's not like you it's not like something as dramatic as the Hajj, right, in Mecca and Medina, where, you know, you're getting 2 million people coming in, uh, to a, a relatively a small populated area. In this case, it's going to be, you know, a blip, a significant blip, but a blip on terms of the existing population. So that, for instance, I'm far in terms of. Uh, uh, Spreading Zika across the world, uh, like we're seeing, uh, that that's the other concern that people have raised in addition to the risk of acquiring Zika, the concern that the Olympics are going to spread Zika across the world. Well, this is a human migratory movement that's far less than something like the Hodge, where you're going to have millions of people people coming in from uh, Zika-infected parts of the world, and there I'm far more worried about uh, that risk to Jeddah and Western Saudi Arabia, uh, and that's how, because that's how dengue virus got introduced back in the 90s, then again in the 2000s, and I've actually advised the Ministry of Health my concerns about uh, Zika virus with the Hajj. I'm less concerned than actually about the Olympics.
0: So uh, the other sort of big Zika news since we last spoke, uh, is that the United States Congress seems to be dragging its feet, uh, as to whether or not to approve the president's budget request to deal, uh, with, uh, I suppose the domestic defenses against Zika here in the United States. Can, can you describe sort of what is included first in the White House uh, proposal. The original request was between $1.8 and $1.9 billion. And
1: uh, the Senate now has proposed something less, around $1.1 billion, But now it's degenerated into a partisan battle. Yeah. Um, the like House so wants like they're doing $600 in Washington. Million. Yeah. yeah, And the House Republicans want to do something that, that's far
0: less. Um, you What's know, in the is, President's budget request? Like what, what will that accomplish if 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 their quest is fully funded what does that uh, propose to do like what will that fund
1: well to be honest with you when i looked through the legislation i had a hard time picking out the pieces and trying to understand it cuz it looked like a lot of the funding is going to the federal agencies and so when i first looked at it i said oh my god that's not what you want it to do you want it to go to local mosquito control uh... uh on the gulf coast because that's where the fight is going to be you know we're not going to have a zika vaccine in time for this epidemic and we could talk about reasons why so our only hope is to do Aedes Egypti control so the the bulk of the money has to go to fighting Aedes aegypti on the Which Gulf Coast. Which is the mosquito, coast. I should say,
0: for people right, who do know. Right, the
1: mosquito that transmits Zika, and it's all pretty much only found on the Gulf Coast in the Tucson, Arizona, and a couple of spots in Southern California. But the um, but when I start going to the federal agencies, I said, that didn't make sense. And then someone pointed out to me, yes, the federal agencies would serve as a pass-through to have the funding come to the local level. But So I'm still struggling with interpreting... Uh, the legislation it 's not if you ever read a bill in, in congress it 's actually not that always user friendly to read sometimes
0: um, so uh, if but, if i'm sorry money, go ahead. if that money came through, like what would mosquito control on the Gulf Coast look like?
1: Well, you have to remember that so how Aedes aegypti is controlled is quite different from the way we usually do mosquito control on the Gulf Coast, so if you live. Like I do in Houston in the summer, what happens is the night rolls, the night comes in, and you hear these big trucks come along, and they are lifting up a big fog of mosquito of insecticide spray. What they're doing is they're getting the swarming Culex mosquitoes that transmit West Nile virus. Uh, That that's its major function. It's really doing little or nothing for the Aedes aegypti mosquito. That that seems to transmit Zika. And the reason is because Aedes aegypti uh, is evolved to live with humans and feed predominantly on human blood. So it lives in small man-made plastic containers that fill with water that are by the sides of the house or cement-containing containers, flower pots, empty tires, uh, bird that sort baths. Of they, there's nothing they love more than a good empty tire so they're often more in environment envir, where there's a lot of environmental degradation that translates to be poor neighborhoods so poor neighborhoods are disproportionately going to be affected by zika also where you have inadequate window screens so to control aedes aegypti means going house to house to house to house picking up the garbage uh, explaining to the homeowners how not to allow plastic containers to fill with water, and then doing insect, providing window screens in some cases, and then doing insecticidal spraying in and around the house. So it's expensive and, and, you, you, and time-consuming. It's, well, it's expensive and very late. It doesn't it, it? It can be expensive. Um, it often re- re- it 's very labor intensive it involves a lot of human volunteers to be involved that 's why I think the faith based communities are going to be very important in this and Then, when you actually look at the historical record and I just had a piece published in the public Library of Science about this we 've never done it in the u s in fact we 've largely refused to do it because it is so labor intensive and, uh, and relatively intrusive, so that when you look what happened in Latin America during the 1960s uh, 20 Latin American countries got together and agreed to take on the 80s by mosquito. This was part of dengue and yellow fever control. And, uh, it worked. Uh, 80s Egypti mosquitoes were eradicated in 18 Latin American countries during the 60s. The U.S., as I write in my article, refused to play. And, Um, because of the expense and because of uh, the lack of political will and willingness to be intrusive and our cultural norms of privacy. So as a result, the Gulf Coast became the site of reinfestation for all of latin america through the used tire trade uh and that's really what uh uh really hurt uh, efforts uh, in the Americas. so it's kind of ironic uh, when we talk about building the wall right uh, i guess the wall works both ways
0: and um, so so if we can sort of project that unfortunately chances are um the u.s will not summon the kind of political will to fully fund yeah, I don't Zika think the, po- the
1: political will is not going to. I don't think we're going to see any action, quite honestly. So, so what? Until what are we the start, until we
0: start seeing Zika cases show up on the Gulf Coast? So, and what does that mean? So, that so, will so, stimulate so, some action. So, so walk me through sort of the sort of epidemiology and uh, of what happens next. So, so the U.S. will not take action. Zika will become embedded in the Gulf Coast. How, what does that look like?
1: Well, but, so I've made the point that. Uh, Zika may already be here, and just but no one's looking because remember we don't if you're no, if you don't have the funding to do the active surveillance, you could miss it. So there may be people now, as we speak, because the Aedes aegypti mosquitoes are starting to climb now in numbers uh, as we go into late end of May, beginning of June. The Aedes aegypti mosquitoes start, numbers start going up, so there may already be transmission of Zika on of uh, the Gulf Coast and we're not aware of it because unless you're actively screening people with rashes and fevers uh, you could miss it. So I think that's that's of concern. The other thing that the funds could be used for other than screening people are also pooling populations of mosquitoes to see if they have the Zika virus which is something also that we're not doing because we don't have the funds. So my big worry is that Zika has Zika has already started on the Gulf Coast, and we may not even be aware of this happening until several months from now. We start seeing babies born with microcephaly uh, on the, on the Gulf, and so- that's. That's what I want to avoid. I want to avoid a situation like we saw in northeastern Brazil, where nobody knew what was happening until clusters of babies started being born with microcephaly.
0: And and right now, the, there have been a few babies born with microcephaly, but they have been imported cases, it seems. I know there's a case in, in New Jersey, just the other day, right. and, and in That's Hawaii right. as well. But those right. Right, now we, yeah. right
1: now, as far as we know, we uh, we have no evidence for transmission of Zika on the Gulf Coast. Um, but I counter and say, well, it may be happening. It's just
0: that now no one's looking. And and what are, are the further public health implications of the fact that we now know that this is also a sexually transmitted uh, disease?
1: Well, there are differing opinions on that. I'm of the opinion that, we're, that sexual transmission is a relatively minor mode of transmission of Zika virus. I think overwhelmingly it's through the bite of the Aedes aegypti mosquito. Um, but that doesn't mean it can't happen in some circumstances. But I think the the amount of sexual transmission compared to
0: mosquito transmission is still on the low side. Um, so what do you then sort of see as like the trajectory of this disease in, in the United States and over the next like year?
1: What I see is uh, if if it uh, enters, if it comes onto the Gulf Coast, it'll primarily be in urban areas because the three, well, the three factors that we're seeing are associated with Zika transmission is is one having the Aedes aegypti mosquito, second is crowding, and third is poverty. So wherever you get the confluence of those three are the areas where Zika, uh, where we might see Zika virus transmission in cases popping up. So and that would mean poor neighborhoods of Houston, New Orleans, Galveston, uh Brownsville, Texas, Biloxi, Mississippi, uh, maybe Mobile, uh Alabama, Tallahassee, uh Tampa, uh, maybe Orlando and and uh in Miami. So those are the areas that I'm worried about, the poor neighborhoods in those cities uh, where are are the places where we're likely to start seeing Zika transmission uh, in the coming months.
0: Um so I guess if we you know to to wrap up this conversation, I don't know. The the big takeaway for me is while we should not have a collective international freak out over the rio olympics and its potential to spread zika around the world we really ought to be paying more attention to preventative measures here in the united states which you know have not really yet uh, experienced the full brunt of of the outbreak
1: yeah, I'd like to use the hurricane metaphor and think where the hurricane's striking next. And it's, it's the Caribbean, it's Central America, and, uh, we're one big ecozone with, with, the the Yucatan Peninsula and the Gulf of Mexico. So look at the Gulf Coast as the area where the, where the shoe could fall next. And, um, and that's where we have to be hyper vigilant about and, you know, the fact that we're fighting over a relatively modest amount of funds. I mean, I know a billion dollars sounds like a lot, but as I I pointed out uh, on social media the other day, I said it's the cost of uh, a couple of F-22 Raptors. Uh, not that we shouldn't be investing in defense, but we have to remember that uh, this is we're not talking about hundreds of billions of dollars
0: here. Uh, Dr. Hotez, thank you so much for your time. This is helpful.
1: Great. Thanks for having me on.
0: All right. Thank you all for listening. Thank you to Dr. Peter Hotez. You know, he actually started uh, the first ever National School of Tropical Medicine down in Houston, the first real school in America to focus on neglected tropical diseases. I feel like I should have him on a longer episode of the podcast where I discuss the big life experiences that shaped the worldview and the career path of more prominent people in global affairs. I'll ask them. All right. Thanks, guys. We'll see you later. Bye.